morning we're wrapping up our First Things First series, which we've been doing all the month of January, uh, about putting things first. You know, 2020 really kind of disrupted a lot of things we get used to in life. And so I wanted to begin this year by getting our priorities back in line. And the way I wanted to wrap up this series, or felt to wrap up this series, is to deal with what we call the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And so we're going to be spending our time looking at that and answering a couple questions the heartbeat of Harvest Hill is something we developed back in 2017 to give us a measuring rod and a guide on what we should be doing as a church. The purpose of this church is to love God, love people. Uh, we do that by fulfilling the great, greatest commandments that Jesus Christ did or gave us. And the heartbeat allows us to see whether or not we are doing what God wants us to do in loving God and loving people. C.S. Lewis wrote that the church exists for nothing else but to draw men into Christ and to make them little Christ. If they're not doing that, all the cathedrals, clergy, missions, sermons, even the Bible itself are simply a waste of time. And God became man for no other purpose. So the heartbeat of Harvest Hill is this, to meet Jesus, to mature in our relationship with God, to be on ministry for the kingdom of God, and to multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what we call the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. And at times, we will make a mention to something being on the meat board or the mature board or the ministry board or the multiply board. And uh, I was told last week I needed to define what that means. So you look in the back in, in this uh, room, there are four boards, and usually those boards have things on those boards which go on with our heartbeat and things we can get involved in and get plugged into. Obviously, we don't have a whole lot going on at this moment with the pandemic, but that does not exempt us as a church and as a people to be a part of the heartbeat of God, which is what we call the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. When Jesus called the disciples, he called them by saying, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The follow me meant they were going to have to meet with Jesus and to be with Jesus. I will make. Jesus is saying, I'm going to turn you into and mature you into something that you currently are not. And I will make you into fishers of men, which implies the ministry and the multiplication as the end goal of where Jesus wanted to take these men as they walked with him and met with him and matured in their relationship with him. And before Jesus ascended into heaven, he reiterated the initial call, what we call the Great Commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. Go there, therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Today our goal is to answer four questions concerning the heartbeat of Harvest Hill. Our first question is what happens when we meet Jesus? Our second question is why do we need to mature in our relationship with God? Third question is, who are we as ministers? And our fourth is, how do we multiply? To do this, we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to make your way there. We'll be reading from verse 16 in chapter 5 to verse 1 of chapter 6. 2 Corinthians in the New Testament, it comes after 1 Corinthians or right before Galatians. It's written by the Apostle Paul to the church that it was in the city of Corinth. The, the church was having doctrinal issues. They were having division issues. They were having leadership issues, which is one of the reasons that Paul was led to write to this church to give them some instruction. But it's a reminder to us today, even the first generational church was not perfect. You will never find a perfect church. 
Because what the church is made up of is sinful people saved by grace who represent the holiness and perfection of God. So every church is going to have issues. When Paul is writing to the church here in Corinth to help correct some of the issues so they can understand what they are to be doing and to be about, instead of being about all these doctrinal debates and this leadership conflict and division within the church, to be unified in one effort. So we're going to answer our questions beginning in verse 16 of chapter 5. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to the message of reconciliation. Verse 20, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us, And we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. Chapter 6, verse 1, Working together with Him then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Let's pray together. Father, I thank You for this day. I thank You for allowing us to come into Your arms and to worship You. Lord, thank you that there's nothing in our life that is hidden from you, and yet you still love us. You still provide for us and protect us. And Father, as we come into your word, I pray that your spirit would would open our eyes and our ears to see your truth and what you're speaking over us, Lord. We want to be obedient to your word. Pray for anyone here this morning who does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Lord, that you would begin working on their heart right now, in this moment understand the need they have for you. Remove me from this equation, Father. I don't want to be in your way. Forgive me where I have failed you. Give me the strength and the wisdom to say what needs to be said through your word. You surrender to you and ask that your will and your will alone be done this morning. And praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So our first question is, what happens when we meet Jesus? And our text is very clear about it. First thing we see is our perspective of people changes. Look there in verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, it means we've come to this understanding that we need Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and for the gift of eternal life. Without Christ, that is not possible. And we will still be in our sins. Paul is led up to verse 16 by saying in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised again. We are now controlled by the love of Christ. It is the love of Christ which compels us and empowers us Because we understand that Christ died for all. And now that we've met Jesus, we need to come to the understanding the greatest need that people have is to meet Jesus as well. That is the only thing that is going to change this world. It is the only thing that is going to change politics and governments and nations is if people come and become reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So our perspectives about people have to change. 
We only see people as you are either saved or you're not saved. You either belong to God or you're an enemy of God. You're either a child of God and heir to the kingdom or you're lost and you're heading to hell. People need to meet Jesus. And our perspective about people is that's all they need. They don't need another stimulus check. They don't need more legislation. They don't need another paper signed by the president. They need Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that can fix them. How have you viewed people this week? When you looked at someone and they did something that disgusted you or you thought was despicable or sinful, what was your thought? God opened my eyes this past scripture. I was sitting at home watching TV and a commercial came on. I'm not going to tell you what commercial it was, but there were things in the commercial I did not agree with because I knew they were outside of God's word. And I did what most of us do. I shook my head and rolled my eyes. I said, good grief. But then God reminded me, I'm not to see these people in that manner. I'm no longer regarding someone in the flesh. And in that moment, as I watched this commercial, even though I didn't know who directed it, who wrote it, I had no idea who the actors were in the, in the commercial, I immediately started praying for everyone involved with that commercial. Because the reality is, whoever put that commercial out there was someone who needed to meet Jesus. And so God changed my perspective. He gave me a, an eye-opening experience to realize what people really need is not my judgment upon them. It's not my belittling them. It's not me pointing the finger and saying, well, that's wrong. And if you were a Christian, you wouldn't do that. It's an understanding that people need to meet Jesus. And when our perspective changes about people, the love of Christ will control us. Because all we'll want for them is to fall in love with Jesus or fall more in love. We see another thing when we meet Jesus. Our perspective on Jesus changes. He says, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Though the Jesus of history can be discovered, He can be evaluated, He can be investigated, we know that there is a historical Jesus. There's more evidence for historical Jesus than Abraham Lincoln. And I doubt anyone here would deny there was an Abraham Lincoln. And we can study the historical Jesus. But we are no longer interested in the historical Jesus. We are interested in the glorified Jesus. Our goal after meeting Jesus isn't to prove to the world that He existed. Rather, it's to share what He did for all people and what promises are given to the people who have accepted Him as their Lord and Savior. M.J. Harris writes, A new attitude toward Jesus Christ prompts a new outlook on those for whom Christ died. When we come to share God's view of Christ, we also gain His view of people in general. Meaning I no longer am to look at people and what political party they may tie themselves to. I no longer look at people and what sports team they support or what region of the world they live in. Instead, I see people, and we have to see people for what they need. They need to meet Jesus. Paul says another thing's happened. When we come and we meet Jesus, our identity changes. Look in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When we meet Jesus, this is the beauty of the gospel. God doesn't come to us and slap some bandages on us. He doesn't tape us up with that flex seal stuff. He doesn't just cover us with a blanket or something like that. God makes us completely new. Our old sinful self is completely obliterated by the blood of Jesus Christ, and our new identity is only found in Christ. Verse 17 should take our minds to the creation count in Genesis. When God spoke, let there be light, what happened? There was light. By God's power and authority, He spoke light into existence. And now He has spoken the light of truth over us, that we are now a new creation. By His power and by His authority, we are completely new. The if anyone of verse 17 should take us to John 3, 16, where it says, For God so loved the world that who He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. The whoever of John 3, 16 is tied to the anyone in the passage of verse 17. Christ died for all so that all might be saved and found in Him. The in Him of verse 17 means we are now in perfect union with Christ. And we are to be in perfect union with the body of Christ. Do you have to go to church to be a Christian? No. You don't. If you had to go to church to be a Christian, if you had to do anything to be a Christian, that means that your salvation is by your works and by your means. But this is by God and it's in Him. But if I'm going to be in Christ... It not only speaks of my identity being clothed with the perfect righteousness and holiness of Christ, but it also should spark a desire in me as a believer to want to be with the body of Christ, the physical representation of Jesus. Then to be in Christ, we allow ourselves to mature in our relationship with God. Why? Why should we mature? This is what the Bible calls discipleship. This is what Jesus was inviting these 12 men to be a part of, discipleship and maturing. We should mature so we can be drawn deeper into our understanding and awe of what verses 18, 19, and 21 are telling us. Verse 18 says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him or not counting their sins against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then in verse 21, For our sake he made him, being Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So when we meet Jesus, we give a new perspective about people. We did a new perspective about Jesus as not just a figure in history, but He is the Son of God glorified. We're given this new identity, and Paul is led to write by the Spirit that all of this, all of it is from God. That's a huge statement that we, we would take a lifetime just to under, fully understand. It means that we had nothing to do with our salvation except to place our faith in God's love and His free gift found in Jesus Christ. And being from God, this should amaze us that a God would act such a way towards us, to be amazed at the grace of God. So we mature, so we can understand God more and His love and His grace for us. We can draw deeper into Him. Grace isn't just a a word we throw into a song or 
we say every now and then, it is God's gift given to those who don't deserve it. That's grace. There's nothing we did where God says, all right, you deserve my grace. He freely gave it. It's closely tied to the word mercy. The Bible clearly shows that we deserve punishment because of our sin. But instead, because of God's grace, we receive forgiveness. A forgiveness we don't deserve and a forgiveness we don't earn or work for. We already hit on God's authority and His power when coming to creation. But this language that Paul is using is bringing us to understand the holiness of God that He is set apart. He is unlike anything in this world we will ever experience. He is without blemish, without fault, without weakness. He is perfect. He is provident. He is sovereign. He is over all things in creation, including COVID. He rules over all things. He provides all things. And this God, who has such an incredible love for us, pours out His grace. It was out of the deep love of God for you, which He acted through Christ to reconcile us to Himself. The word reconcile means a lot of things in Scripture. Mainly it means to be brought back into harmony. See, God understood that we were all sinful and we all wrestle with sin, and God looked at our sinfulness. And then He stepped out of the heavens through Jesus to bring us back into harmony with Him. Reconciliation speaks of an exchange or substitute and a transformation of relationship. Where once we were sinners and enemies of God, by God's action through Christ, we're now children and heirs. We don't have time to fully unwrap that. That's why we have to mature in our relationship with God. It is by God acting to reconcile us that God has removed all hostility towards us if we're found in Christ. We're no longer under His wrath, but we're found in His grace. God did this all for us. He no longer counts our trespasses against us. It means He no longer looks at Pastor Mike and holds Pastor Mike accountable for his sin. He no longer looks at you and sees sin anymore if you're in Christ. He only sees Christ's righteousness and perfection and holiness. What an amazing God we serve. God is good. God is good all the time. Language Paul uses here in speaking about this reconciliation should take us to the sacrifice of atonement found in the Old Testament. It's in that beautiful book we know as Leviticus. And the last parts of Exodus that I know many of us were doing the Bible in a year, we like speed read those sections. But there's a day of atonement mentioned in the Old Testament. What would happen is they would bring two goats and they would cast one goat by lot to be the sacrifice for the sins of the nation, the sins of the people. And when they would sacrifice that goat, they would sprinkle the blood of the goat on the goat that was still alive. And then they would send that goat into the wilderness as a symbol that God was removing the sins of the people. He gave a substitute, a reconciliation act through this goat, and they were atoned for. 
This is what Christ did on the cross. He atoned for us. He reconciled us. Paul doesn't use the word cross in this passage, but that's what he's pointing to. It was the cross, the crucifixion of Christ, the resurrection of Christ, which allows us now to be brought back into harmony with a God who is overwhelming in love with us. We don't deserve it, but that's why he is good, and that's why he is amazing. And so we have to mature so we can understand these things more and more to grow in our relationship with God, to understand the actions of God on our behalf, to understand what it is to be a Christian. Because many people who confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior don't understand these things, and the believers in Corinth weren't getting it either. What Christ did for us, by God's act through Christ, We have been given, verse 18, the ministry of reconciliation. So Christ reconciled us to God, and now He tells us to be the ministers of reconciliation. It means as a believer, we are now carriers of Christ's ministry to bring others into a reconciled relationship with God, to bring them back into harmony. And by God's act through Christ, look at verse 19, we have been entrusted with the message of reconciliation. See, our message to the world is not that one person's right and another person's wrong. It isn't to say that the way someone lives their life is disgusting and detestable and sinful. We don't see people by the color of their skin. We don't see them by their gender or their age. Though we know that sin is produced through certain allegiances, ideologies, religions, But the allegiances aren't the problem. The problem is this world has people who are not reconciled to God. And how does God want to reconcile that situation? Through His people. Through us. We don't preach on their wrongs. We preach that they need to be reconciled. Paul understood that debates and arguments and laws won't change the heart of people, but but God can. And God wants to change the hearts of the people that are in your life. He wants to change the heart of this nation. And the way He does that is He empowers His people to be the ministers of reconciliation and to deliver the message of reconciliation. And only by maturing our relationship with God can we get to a place where we see where people really are? They need Jesus. They're not Democrat. They're not Republican. They need Jesus. Plain and simple. They're not gay or straight. They need Jesus. Rich or poor, they need Jesus. That's it. It's that simple. Our maturing also so we can understand our new identity And by understanding our new identity, it will move us to a place of worshiping God in new ways and in new levels. We need to mature and understand to know what it means to become the righteousness of God, verse 21. Christ, who lived a sinless life to die a sinner's death, did it all not just to give us His righteousness, but that we might be His righteousness. To be righteous is to be in a right relationship with God. And if you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are in that right relationship because of your faith in Christ. 
We're all going to struggle with temptations. We're all going to fall to sin at times. But guess what? That does not remove our righteous standing before God. It does not take away God's love for us because the Bible says nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing has more power and more authority than our God who has spoken His truth over our life. And we may feel far from God, but it's not God who moved away. As a believer, we can only be found in God's love. And that truth alone should motivate us to want to mature in this relationship with Him, to understand who He is and why He would love us in such a way. It's all because of His mercy, His love, and His grace. Paul writes to the believers in Galatia in chapter 3, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we mature in our relationships so we can understand this God to which our salvation is found in. To understand the depths which God set Christ, His only Son, in our place. He was made what we were. Christ was made what we were in order that we might become what He is. The commentator writes, Christ has taken on our identity and we have been given His. And this was all done by God. So we need to mature in that relationship with Him. So we might be in constant awe of this incredible gift that we live in now. By doing this, we'll gain an understanding in who we are as ministers. Look in verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Paul uses the pronoun we in verse 20, meaning it's not just himself who is an ambassador, but we are ambassadors. To be an ambassador for God means we are commissioned for a special assignment. We represent the one who sent us, and we have been given authority from the one who sent us. As a believer, we are now a spokesperson for Christ, for God and the kingdom of God. We are now carriers of the gospel of salvation. And the beauty of being in the ministry for Christ is it isn't Just as our salvation isn't about us, so being in the ministry isn't about our abilities, our talents, or even our knowledge. Look in verse 20. It says, God making His appeal through us. God wants to proclaim the gospel message through all of His believers. And the greatness of God is this. In 2 Peter, we're told, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. We need to understand the full scale of what God has done here. He acted to save us and forgive us. He calls us to change our way of living and conversation. And then He empowers us to do what He wants us to do in this world. There's so much at stake, and God has entrusted us with His message, His ministry, and His authority to carry it out in this world. What do we proclaim? The need for others to be reconciled to God Through Jesus Christ. It's that simple. The need for others to be reconciled, to be brought back into harmony with God through Jesus. And this is what leads to multiplication. And look in verse 1 of chapter 6. We see how God multiplies. Working together with Him then, we we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. By us not working alone, working together with Him. By us not working in our own power, 
by us not even working in our own authority or ability, but working together with Him. God has not only saved us, He's not only reconciled us, He's not only declared us righteous, but now He says, you're a co-worker with my Son. You work alongside Jesus. We work under and in the authority of Jesus Christ in this world who sits at the right hand of the Father. And Christ himself has authorized you and me to carry out his ministry. We don't work in the shadow of Christ. We work right alongside with him. So what Christ came to do, and what Christ came and preached, we now do and preach. And what if we don't? Well, Paul gives us the understanding through the Holy Spirit. If we aren't working alongside Christ to lead others to Christ, then we have received the grace of God in vain. If you are not about accomplishing God's will, which is for all people to be saved, then you failed to grasp the understanding of what God did for you through Christ. The meaning of receiving the grace in vain means we give no thought to it and we deem God's amazing grace as ineffective. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And in that book, he coined a phrase, cheap grace. To not work alongside Christ and by the power of Christ is to deliver the message of God's reconciliation. Sorry, to not work alongside Christ and by the power of Christ to deliver the message of God's reconciliation makes the cross, crucifixion, resurrection, love, and grace of God cheap or of no meaning and value in our life. That's taking the grace of God in vain. What a sad place to be if we are in Christ to believe that God's grace holds no meaning or value. By, by not ministry, by not multiplying, that is what we do. That's why we're to meet Jesus, mature in our relationship with God, minister for the kingdom of God, and multiply by the power of the Holy Spirit because we understand it is essential for us and for those whom God has placed in our life so they can meet Jesus and mature in their relationship. Here's the question, how is your maturing going? How's your discipleship going? Where is your relationship with God right now? Is it defined by this time on Sunday morning? Or do you walk with Him daily? Do you long for Him? Do you thirst for Him like the psalmist did? The other question is, where are you involved in ministry? Praise God, He did not call you here to sit in a seat. He called you here to use you through the gifts and the abilities He's given you and the power of the Holy Spirit within you. Here's another question. How many times since you've met Jesus have you multiplied? How often have you shared your faith with people that God has put into your life? You think they were drawn to you because of who you are? I know people aren't drawn to me because of who I am, because I know how disgusting I am. But God has drawn people to you because you have the message of reconciliation they need to hear. 
And your voice may be the only one they'll listen to. They won't listen to a preacher on Sunday at this point in their life, but they'll listen to you. How many times have you multiplied? How healthy is your heart and the understanding of God's grace? If you hear those questions and you feel like a complete failure, guess what? That's the grace of God working on your heart. His grace is not going to let us stay where we are, but He continues to move us along in this journey so we can mature and grow closer to Him. Perhaps the question that you need to answer this morning is, have you met Jesus? Do you know Him as your Lord and Savior? See, God sent Jesus Christ to this earth, not so we can tell stories about Him or sing songs about Him. He sent Jesus Christ to save you. Because if you are not found in Christ, you're heading to hell. And that's not what God wants for your life. He wants you in a relationship. He wants to prepare a place for you in heaven. But that can only be found in Christ. And God's amazing grace is that His authority and powers over all creation. He created everything. And someday every knee will bow and tongue will confess that Jesus is the Lord. He is the Christ. And we all will be held accountable to God, the only God. And God knows the rebellion in your heart. He knows the sin problems you have and the things we wrestle with that we don't want anyone else to know. God already knows that all about you, and yet He loves you for it. And He wants to bring you out of that. He's not telling you, well, I better fix up my life before I come to Christ. He's saying, no, come to Christ and let me fix your life. See, Jesus died for our sins and rose again we could be completely forgiven and be promised eternal life. And the Bible says when we confess it with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and we need God's forgiveness only found in Christ, we will be saved and be given eternal life. And if you're here this morning, you've yet to make that confession of faith. I'm going to stand here. I'm going to invite you to come down. Say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. But maybe you're here and by God's grace, he's convicted you like he convicted me this week just preparing this message. And you can come and kneel before the Father because you know you've been off. You know you haven't been doing what He's called you to do, and you've been treating His grace in vain. I'm going to ask Nick and Bridget to come and lead us in a song of invitation, Lead Me to the Cross, and that's where God brings us this morning. Let's pray together. Father, thank You for this day. Thank You for loving us. Thank You for reconciling us. Thank us for, for bringing us back into harmony with You. Thank You for Your Son, Jesus, and the incredible sacrifice He made on our part, which we do not deserve. Lord, thank you that you know everything about every single individual in this room. You know the hairs on our head. You know the things we struggle with and are wrestling with, the things we are doubting you about. And yet you bring us to your presence by your grace and offer forgiveness. Lord, let us as a church not take your grace in vain, but to be about your work which you have assigned us and empowered us to do. Forgive me if I've gotten in your way, but thank you for allowing us to be in your presence once again. I pray us all in the name of Jesus. Amen. This time to respond, I invite you to come. I invite you to stand. Let's sing.